This is our fifth session now on 1 Thessalonians 1, 2-7. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you, and then everything that follows is a ground, an explanation and basis for how he knows that they are among God's chosen, God's select ones, God's elect. And the argument goes like this, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as... And I'm sorry I didn't translate that accurately in the previous slides, but that's literally a plain Greek kathos, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So I just want to linger there. You know. Father, as we hear the implications of Paul saying, you know what kind of people we, we became among you. And he expects that to have a powerful effect in undergirding their confidence in the reality of the power and the Holy Spirit and the word that came from, from, the, from Paul and Silas and Timothy. So, Father, show us the implications of this for our lives now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So he's saying that one of the reasons that we know he knows they are among the elect is the effect that God was having on him and Timothy and Silas or Silvanus as they preached. They were giving the word. They were sensing God's power. They were in the Holy Spirit. And they had full conviction. And he says, just as you know, you know this. Just as you know what kind of men. This, that's the kind of men we prove to be. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So it is a huge factor for Paul for them to know what kind of person he was in the delivery of the gospel. Oh, how crucial this is. There has been so much undermining of the gospel's credibility in our day because of preachers not being able to say this, right? Can preachers say, you know what kind of per people we were among you, and what we proved to be for your sake? In other words, we weren't in it for the money. We weren't in it to sell a lot of books or to make a name for ourselves, or to take advantage of anybody, or to get some sex on the side. It was for your sake that we were in it, that we want you to know this. You can know this. Now, the reason I'm stressing this is because this really turns out to be an ongoing theme. Evidently, Paul was being slandered big time in Thessalonica, which is no surprise because he got run out of town by the very people that are now slandering him. And we saw that back in Acts chapter 17. Let me give you 
a few glimpses of what I'm talking about. Let's jump over to chapter 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, I'm underlining these as you knows. There's about three of them. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You know this about us. We weren't fair-weather Christians. In much conflict, we held out good news to you, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. You can hear the kind of slander that was going on. Oh, he's just a, a liar. He's in it for sex. He's just a deceiver. Verse 4, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts, for we never came with words of flattery. So he's being accused, probably. He's just a flattery. He's buttering you up to use you. We never came with words of flattery, as you know. There it is again. So this is number two. This is number three, as you know. Nor with a pretext of greed. We weren't in it for the money. God is witness. You know. God knows. One more illustration from 1 Thessalonians 2.10. You are witnesses. You know. You know. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one. You can't miss the stress. Paul is burdened to give them evidence that he is a certain kind of person, not just a mouth speaking news. So he says, you know, you were witnesses. You know, you know, you know. In other words, he had lived among them in such a way that they could know what kind of person he was. Now, this is the way Paul always ministered. Oh, how it should affect all pastors, all evangelists, all representatives of Jesus. Here's chapter 20 with Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus when he's about to leave them, having worked there for a couple of years. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all lowliness or humility, with tears, you saw them, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Then down in verse 33 of that same chapter, I coveted nobody's silver or gold. I didn't even want your clothing. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In other words, I didn't do it for your money. I didn't even ask for your money. I made my own money. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what an Im immense importance Paul put on his reputation as a certain kind of, of person. Now, notice this. Just as you know what kind of men 
we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. So their receiving the gospel was driven deeply by seeing a certain kind of person that they wanted to be like. And this kind of person was evidently representing the Lord. He was imitating the Lord who suffered and rejoiced in trial and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And now Paul is living that way for their sake. And then they are caught up into it and they're so eager to be like that kind of person. One more observation to show how embedded in Paul's theology this uh, incarnation in his own body of the body of Christ. This is Colossians 1.24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's the same as for your sake right here. The kind of person we prove to be for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This is talking to the Colossians, I know, not the Thessalonians, but this principle of ministry runs all through Paul. And in my flesh, what you can see, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, for your sake, for your sake, that is the church. What does that mean? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We'll, we'll talk about it in detail when we get to Colossians some year, but I'll tell you what I think it means, and you can test it. Nothing is lacking in Christ's afflictions as far as its atoning merit or its worth for the forgiveness of sins. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions is the personal incarnation of those afflictions presented to other people that never saw Jesus crucified on the cross for their sake. But Paul considered his own kind of person to be a person who is willing to endure afflictions, which they are now imitating, his joy in affliction by the power of the Holy Spirit is what they are imitating, and Paul considers that a fulfilling, a completion of Christ's afflictions for the Thessalonians in that they now see Christ in Paul. They see the Lord in the team that's willing to suffer like Jesus did for the salvation of the Thessalonians. I cannot overemphasize what I think Paul considered so essential. He didn't just come with a message. He came with a kind of sacrificial love that put Christ on display.